You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Well, church family, we are quickly approaching the end of the letter of James, and I hope it has been as good for you as it has been for me. James, in you know his sort of punchy and pastoral way, has just been pointing us to the risen Jesus, showing us the difference that Jesus makes in a human life. And I hope by now that two-word summary of the letter of James is sinking down into your heart, that two-word summary, faith works. I love how Martin Luther, the reformer, how he talked about faith. Listen to what he said about it. He said, faith is a living, busy, active, powerful thing. He goes on to say, it is impossible that it should cease doing that which is good. It does not even ask whether good works should be done. But before the question can be asked, faith has already done them and is constantly engaged in doing them. He who does not do such works is a man without faith. Now, in a lot of ways, that paragraph could sum up the whole of the letter of James. James's point is faith works. It's living. It's busy. Faith is active. It's powerful. It never ceases doing that which is good. And each week in every passage that we've looked at in the letter of James, James is showing us another way that faith works. Faith works in suffering, in temptation, against favoritism, in our fights, in our wealth. And last week we saw that faith even works in our waiting. And now this week in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, James has yet another way that he wants to show us that faith works. And here's, here's the point. Here's what James is aiming for in this passage is to show us that faith works in prayer. That faith works in prayer. Now, what is prayer? Um, I love how the New City Catechism defines it. And by the way, if you're a parent and you have small kids in your home, I just wanna encourage you to grab the New City Catechism and use that tool to teach theology to your kids. And even if you're an adult in your home, it would be a great tool for you to learn good, solid theology. But listen to question number 38 of the New City Catechism. It asks the question, what is prayer? And here's its answer. Prayer is pouring out our hearts to God. It's pouring out our hearts to God. And I love those words, pouring out our hearts to God, because it's showing us that what we so often call prayer and consider prayer really is missing the essence of prayer. There is a huge difference between saying prayers and praying. A huge difference. I love how Paul Miller talks about this in his book, A Praying Life, which I would commend to you. Paul Miller talks about it like this. He says, prayer is the real you, meeting the real God. That's prayer. It's, it's your heart, the real you being poured out before the real God, the real you meeting the real God. Now, it is impossible to overstate the importance of prayer in the Christian life. Words are just stretched beyond their limit to describe how important it is for a Christian. Private prayer in particular is the single greatest litmus test for genuine faith. Your prayer life, private prayer in particular, is the single greatest litmus test. That's how important prayer is in your life. Listen to these words from J.I. Packer. He says this, I believe that prayer is the measure of a man. Now, just consider that. I believe it's the measure of a man spiritually in a way that nothing else is. So that how we pray is as important a question as we can ever face. 
Now, I want to reread that just to let you think on that for a moment. He says, I believe that prayer is the measure of a man spiritually in a way that nothing else is so that how we pray is as important a question as we can ever face. Prayer, and in particular private prayer, is a great litmus test for genuine faith. And it's a great litmus test for that because um, so much of what Jesus calls us to do uh, plays out in front of people, which begs the question, are we doing those right things that Jesus calls us to do for him, for God, or for them, for their applause, for the eyes of people, uh, to look good in front of people? And the Bible is so clear that wrong motives often energize right actions. Uh, Wrong motives can often energize and animate us doing the right thing. So uh, things like preaching, it's a right thing. Uh, Things like giving generously, it's a great thing. Even loving our neighbor, all of those are great things, but they can be animated and motivated by wrong motives. Uh, But a person seldom goes into his closet and there alone pours out his heart to God unless a deep abiding love of God lives in him. People just don't do that unless there is a love of God in them. So I think the way Packer is talking is right here when he says, I believe that prayer is the measure of a man spiritually in a way that nothing else is so that how we pray is as important a question as we can ever face. That's how important prayer is in your life. Prayer is important because your prayer life is deeply connected to spiritual vitality. Think about it this way. Prayer is as important to your spiritual life as breathing is to your physical life. So just there where you are, take a deep breath. Just feel air going into your lungs and then now air is getting into your blood and into your body, sustaining life. As important as that breath is to sustain your life, so is prayer to your life with God. So when we neglect prayer, it is spiritual suicide for us. Our life with God has a way of withering and diminishing and dying. So here is James now. Pastor James in this passage is taking us by the hand and he is walking us deeper into a life of prayer. That's James's goal. Now I want to take this passage in two parts. Uh, two parts. I want to, in a lot of ways, just distill the heart of this passage down into two particular thoughts. And here's the first thought, uh, first part of this passage. Here's the point James wants us to receive, is to pray. Uh, to, to pray. That, that's James's point. This is the theme of the passage. Uh, that word pray or prayer shows up seven times in six verses. Uh, that is helping us locate the theme and the emphasis that James is, is uh, moving us toward. And, and what James wants to accomplish in this passage, in these few uh, short verses, is really simple. He, he, he wants us to pray. That, that, that's his point. He wants us to be people who are praying. And and listen, he wants us to go beyond a person who prays to a praying person. And there's a big difference between those two. He wants to, to move us beyond a person who occasionally prays to a person who is defined by prayer. So ask yourself this question. When do I pray? Just ask yourself and answer that. When do I pray? Now, for most people, when when we're thinking about that question, it helps us see that prayer in our lives lives in a very small box. 
uh, we take the idea of prayer and it, and it sets in a very small box in our life so that most of us, when we're answering the question, when do I pray, uh, we respond with things like this. Well, I pray um, before meals. I pray before bedtime. Uh, we, we keep prayer in those sort of small boxes. But here's what James wants to do in this passage. He wants to rip prayer out of that box. He wants to take it out of that box because he wants prayer to permeate the entirety of your life. He wants it to soak and saturate into every moment. He wants you to pray at all times in every circumstance, in both the big and the small moments of life, the good and the bad moments of life, the painful and the pleasurable moments of life. He wants you to pray at all times. In a lot of ways, I feel like this passage is James setting before us a new way to see our life. He wants us to see our life in a new way. He wants us to see our life with God in a different way. He wants us to see all of our life as before God and with God in a moment-by-moment conversation with our dad. That's what James is after. Now, notice how James encourages us to pray. You see the first one in verse 13. James encourages us to pour out our heart to God personally. To pour out our heart to God personally. Look at it in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? As broken people living in a broken world, suffering is unavoidable. If you're not in a season of suffering, um, your wait won't be long. It's coming for all of us in this broken world. And in seasons of suffering, here is the encouragement that James gives. If anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. Let him pray. Now, this text should be heard and sort of received from God in connection with our text from last week, where James urged us to be patient in suffering. That's the previous passage, be, be patient in suffering. And these two are connected. And James wants us to see now in this text that you'll never be patient in suffering apart from prayer. You'll never be patient in suffering apart from prayer. When you stop pouring out your heart to God in prayer, when you refuse to do that, when you stop bringing your hurts to God, your wounds to God, your disappointments, your frustrations, your rage, your desire for revenge, when you stop bringing all of those things to God, when you stop pouring out your heart to God in prayer, it's just a matter of time. Probably measured in minutes, not months, probably in minutes, before you give up in your suffering or you give in to your suffering. We need prayer to maintain patience. And James is just inviting us into the heart of God here. He's saying, I want you, Christian, I want you to make sure that you are pouring out your heart, your pain, your sorrows to God in prayer. Now, the Psalms are such a great example of this. Every emotion a human being can feel show up in the Psalms, every single emotion. And the Psalms, think about what the Psalms are. The Psalms are the prayer book of the Bible. The Psalms teach us how to pray. The Psalms were given to us so that we could give them back to God in prayer. Now, it's interesting to think about the Psalms as a whole because one-third, roughly one-third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. They're Psalms where the psalmist is suffering, and in their suffering, they're pouring out their anger, their frustration, their disappointment, their hurt, their grief, their sorrow, their, their desire for revenge. They're pouring all of that out to God in prayer. Now, isn't this a timely encouragement from James? 
Uh, This week has just been brutal with the stories of Christian Cooper and George Floyd. And for that matter, for every good-hearted police officer whose job just became so much more dangerous, it has been such a hard week. And in the middle of a week like that, James is reminding us to pray, to pour out our hearts to God in prayer, everything in us to, to come out to God, fear, anger, hurt, frustration, for all of that to come out to God in prayer. James is saying that wintry seasons of suffering, they are for prayer. That They should turn us to God in prayer. James is helping us believe that God really does love it when his kids pray their pain to him. God loves it when they do that. And if you're a parent, you know that because you love it when your kids do that. Yes, you love it when your kids open up their heart and and let you see into the things that they're celebrating. But yes, you love it probably even more when they open up their heart and they let you see their sorrow. When they bring their sorrow to you and let you pray for them and minister to them. Those are some of the most sacred moments in parenting. And just like you love it as a parent, God loves it when his kids do that. So rather than grumbling, rather than talking to others, rather than numbing ourselves or distracting ourselves from the pain that we feel, James is saying, no, open up your heart to God and pour all of that out to him. He's saying, is anyone among you suffering? Then let him pray. But then he goes on. Is anyone cheerful? Is anyone cheerful? Suffering is a season of life, but the winter seasons of suffering thaw out and give way to spring seasons. And spring seasons are those seasons of intense joy and celebration where life just has a way of going well for us. The crooked things kind of straighten out. The things that were broken um, become fixed and life is going well. These are the spring seasons when we're cheerful. These are the seasons when our heart is full, even overflowing. And James says, when that happens, if you're cheerful, if you're in one of those spring seasons, he says, if, is, is anyone cheerful? Then let him sing praise. Now, what is praise? Praise is prayer turned into song. That's what praise is in the scriptures. And the Psalms are also an incredible example of that, of of praise in the midst of cheerful seasons, of of our praise, our our cheerfulness being turned into prayer, set to song. Uh, Listen to how the psalmist uh, talks about this. Uh, Think about Psalm 150. Uh, The psalmist says this, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him in his mighty deeds, praise him according to his excellent greatness. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Then he goes on to say, praise the Lord. That's the the last words in the the whole book of Psalms. Uh, Then think about Psalm uh, 149. The psalmist says this, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. And then he goes on in verse two, let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. The Psalms give us this incredible model of praying in every season of our life, both in sorrow and in celebration. Now, remember the point James is making. He wants us to pray. And not just to be a person who prays, but to be a praying person. Uh, so let me clarify something here. Uh, James is not, um, he's not looking at us and saying, I just, I, I want you to sort of just reprioritize prayer in your life. That's not what he's saying. And by the way, this is how I so often hear sermons on prayer. 
I look at my life and I think, well, uh, prayer has moved down the sort of priority list. It's hanging down there like number nine. And I need to figure out a way to get it up to like maybe number three or number two, or maybe I can get it all the way up to the number one spot in my life. That is not what James is after in this text. Uh, James doesn't want prayer moved up the list. Uh, James wants prayer to permeate everything on the list of your life. He wants it to saturate and fill in every single moment of your life. Do you see the difference? He's not after you reprioritizing it. He's after it permeating everything. James doesn't want you to put prayer in a bigger box in your life. He wants you to take prayer out of the box and then let it saturate and soak every single moment, every single minute of our lives. James is showing us a new way to live. And the way that he sees is every single moment is with God in a constant conversation with our dad. Now, in this text, James goes beyond encouraging us to pour out our heart to God personally. He goes on to say, yeah, I want you to do that. I want prayer to to be personal, but I also want you to pour out your heart to God with pastors. I also want you to do that. I want prayer to be in every single part of your life. So he's saying, I want you to pray at all times, in all seasons, but I don't want prayer to be privatized for you. I don't want it to be um, a thing that's just between you and God. I also want it to involve others like your pastors. Look at verse 14. He says, is anyone among you sick? If so, let him call the elders of the church, the pastors of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And let the prayer of faith and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now you might just circle that word "sick." Um, commentators generally all agree that James is talking about a person here who is uh, their sickness is beyond a headache. They are seriously sick. Uh, The word sick itself suggests that, but also the context suggested. Uh, James says the pastors are to go to this person. Uh, That probably indicates that that person is not well enough to come to them. Uh, James also says that the pastors are to pray over him, which likely means that person is confined to a bed and can't get out of that bed. Uh, So we're talking about a a serious sickness. And James is saying here, in moments like this, when, when you're sick, pray. Call the pastors. Let them pray over you and with you. Pray in all moments, in all seasons. Pray with your pastors. Now, I know I can speak on behalf of our pastors and staff and our prayer team to say that when people are seriously sick, it has been such a blessing to be able to pray with and for them, just to plead for the mercy of God to come into their life in a powerful way. I just am thinking about a few months ago, um, some of our pastors got together with one of our Stonegate groups. uh, And that particular group had um, some people in it just in intense seasons of suffering and sickness. And we were able to pray over them. And the Lord just met us in such powerful ways that night. And I want to look at you and say, that is a means of grace that when you're sick, you should take advantage of. Um, Every Sunday morning, uh, when we gather in person physically, after every one of our services, some of our pastors and staff and prayer team are available to do this very thing, to pray over people who are in intense seasons of suffering and sickness. And so I want to just, again, look at you and encourage 
encourage you, take advantage of this means of grace that, that James is laying out here. He's saying, pour out your heart to God with pastors. But then he goes on. He has something else he wants to, uh, to encourage us in. He says, don't just do that with pastors. He, he goes on to say, pour out your heart to God with people, with people. Uh, listen to what James goes on to say in verse 16. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, again, James is trying to get prayer out of the box. He's saying, I want it to be in every single area of your life, not just at the top of the list, but saturating everything on your list. So pour out your heart to God personally, he's saying. Pour out your heart to God with, with pastors, he says in verse 15. And now he's saying, pour out your heart to God with people, with your communities. Prayer is meant to be a shared experience with your brothers and sisters in Christ. When I read verse 16, here's one of the things it makes me think. It makes me think, yeah, that, that is a picture of what every healthy Stonegate group should look like. This is a picture. Confess your sins to one another. That's a picture of what should be happening often in Stonegate groups. Uh, it's interesting, in 1738, John Wesley uh, created what we now know today of as small groups or home groups. And for those groups, he made a few very simple rules. And here was one of the rules that he made for those groups as they would meet together. He said, every person in the group speak as freely and as plainly and concisely as he can the real state of his heart with the several temptations and deliverances since the last time we met. Now, that is what every Stonegate group should, it should have a part of that in it. That should be happening consistently in every healthy group. Uh, without confession, without us being um, honest about the temptation and the sin in us, um, everyone's just pretending. Everyone is wearing a mask. Uh, but without deliverances, there's no gospel, there's no grace. But when you bring both of those together, people being honest about their sin and temptation, and you bring that together with grace, wonderful things begin to happen among a group of people. So James says, confess your sins to one another. And then he says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. James is saying, yes, open up your hearts and confess to one another. Sins, temptations, yes, do that. Then pray for one another. Invite the strong arm of God to work in your lives. That should be happening in every one of our groups. James is saying prayer should be a shared experience. It's a shared privilege that we're inviting other brothers and sisters into our life to pray. James is encouraging us to pray with people, to pray with people. It's not, it's not meant to be privatized. Pray with people. A few years ago, I remember calling a pastor friend of mine, and we were just going to schedule some time to, to grab lunch. And called him. We're trying to work out the calendar and the schedule and all that. And uh, I threw out a date and said, what about lunch on that date? And he uh, just sort of, as a passing comment, uh, said, oh, gosh, I can't that day. I'm, I'm meeting with a guy to pray for an hour over lunch that day. And I just remember thinking when he said that, gosh, it's like that guy's a pastor or something. And then my next thought was, I should probably do that more often. 
And here now I am a couple of years removed from that phone call and I firmly believe this now. I'm convinced that that little habit of praying with people is one of the keys to spiritual vitality in our life. God enriches our life, blesses our life when we get together with people and pray with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is what James wants for you and for me. He wants us to be praying people pouring out our hearts to God personally, uh, pouring out our heart to God with our pastors, pouring out our hearts to God with people, our brothers and sisters in our life. Now imagine someone coming up to James and asking James, uh, James, why do you want us to pray? Uh, Why pray, James? Well, here's, uh, I think, James's answer in this text, in this passage. Uh, James would look back and say, pray, and here's the reason. Uh, Pray because prayer has power. That's the reason pray, because prayer has power. Now, James is not telling us in this passage everything we need to know about prayer, but he is telling us a few core things we need to know about prayer. He wants us to pray, and he wants us to pray because prayer has power. He wants us not just to pray, but he wants us to pray in a certain way. He wants us to pray believing that when we pray, we are tapping into the heart of God and the power of God. That's the way he wants us to pray with expectancy, with a hopefulness, with a joyfulness, knowing that we are praying to the one who holds the world in his hand. He holds everything, the universe in his hands. And that all-powerful God loves to respond to his kids when they pray to him. H.B. Uh, Charles, in his book on prayer, answered the question, why should I pray? And listen to his response. His response was, well, here's an answer. Because prayer works. It accomplishes. It, it does things. And then he goes on to say, more accurately, God works when we pray. That, that's why we should pray, because God works when we pray. And then I love this next line. Listen to what he goes on to say. He says, when we work, here's all that's working. Just us. When we work, we work. But, but listen to this. When we pray, he says, God works. Now, who do you want working in your life? Do you want to be the one working or do you want God to be the one working? If you want God to be the one working, pray. James says pray because prayer has power. Now, look at the language used in this passage to convey the potency or the power of prayer. Look at verse 15. He's imploring pastors to pray for the sick. And James says, and the prayer of faith will save. It will do this. It will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Now, again, James is not addressing everything about prayer in this passage. James is not addressing unanswered prayer in this passage. And there's a reason for that. The reason is because James is writing with a purpose. James is writing and working to convince us of the potency of prayer. He wants us to see that prayer is powerful. He's trying to shake us out of our cynicism. He's trying to help us see that prayer replaces our abilities with God's abilities. That when we pray, God works. That's what James is trying to show us in this text. You see it again in verse 16. James says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And then listen to what he goes on to say. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Why pray? Here's James's answer. Because prayer has power. Do you believe that about prayer? I love what one of the early church fathers in a sermon that he preached on prayer, I love what he said. 
He said, the potency of prayer has subdued the strength of fire. It has bridled the rage of lions. It has expelled demons. It has broken the chains of death. It has cured diseases. It has rescued cities from destruction. It has stopped the sun in its course. It has arrested the progress of the thunderbolt. And that's what James is saying right here. He says, that's how powerful prayer is. It's that potent. Pray because prayer has power. And then look at verses 17 and 18. James says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then verse 18, then Elijah prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Now think about that passage for a moment. Is God sovereign over the rain? The answer is yes, God is sovereign over the rain. Uh, Did God determine when the rain would stop and when the rain would start? The answer is yes, God is sovereign and determined all of those things. And yet, James is trying to show us here that God sovereignly ordained that when Elijah prayed, the rain would stop. And then when Elijah prayed again, the rain would start. James is trying to show us that God works out his purposes in the world through prayer. So James is saying prayer has power. I love how one author said it. He said, prayer is the splicing of our limp wire. It splices our limp wire into the lightning bolt of heaven. That's what prayer is doing. It's taking our weakness and connecting our weakness to the strength of God. That's that's prayer. It's splicing our limp wire into the lightning bolt, the power of heaven. You know, it's so interesting. If you do a word study on prayer, and you just trace that word throughout the New Testament, it's amazing how things start to happen Things begin to start working when people are praying or as people are praying. Years ago, I read Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life. And again, I would just commend that book to you. And I remember this this one sentence. When I came across it, I I marked it with a highlighter and I just sat there and stared at it for a while. It's just this, this one sentence he said struck me. And here was that sentence. He said, I can't stress enough that God is actually answering my prayers. I, I can't stress it enough, God is, he's actually working when I pray. Man, do you believe that about prayer, that God works in response to our prayer? When we pray, we are praying to an all-powerful God who can give good gifts to his kids. But even more than that, when we pray, we are praying to a generous dad who loves to give good gifts to his kids. So James is saying, pray. Pray because prayer is powerful. So pray big, bold prayers, knowing that that prayer has all sorts of potency built into it. Pray, James says. Now, uh, let me finish here. It's amazing to think about the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus tells us that when we put our faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, when we trust Jesus, we become a child of God. Is that not amazing? God, all-powerful creator God, becomes our dad. 
It's an amazing promise the gospel gives us that through faith in Jesus, God becomes a listening father. And I love how John Calvin put it. He said, here's what prayer is in light of that. Prayer is climbing up into our father's lap and whispering in his ear. And that's a right. It's a privilege that God has given every one of his kids to crawl up into his lap and to whisper in his ear, to pour out their heart to him. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine a few years ago, and he was just in a hard spot in ministry. He was struggling through frustration and disappointment. And in a moment of honesty, he looked at me and said, you know, Rodney, if I'm honest with you, I really feel like God would answer. And then he, then he said the name of kind of a popular pastor guy. He said, I really feel like God would answer that guy's prayer a long way before he's going to answer my prayer. That's the prayers he's really concerned with, but, but my prayer just, he's not listening to them. And I remembered when he said that, just empathizing, knowing that, gosh, I struggle with those same sort of feelings. I felt those same things. God, are you listening? God, do you care, God? Sometimes it feels like I might be in the family, but, but I'm like way down on your list of concerns, God. And brothers and sisters, I want to look at you today and I want to remind you that that, according to the good news of Jesus, is not true. It is not true. According to John 17, when God thinks about all of his adopted sons and daughters, it is with the same affection with which he thinks about his beloved son, Jesus. Just like God the Father's heart leaps for joy when he thinks about Jesus, so God the Father's heart leaps for joy as he thinks about you, his precious son or daughter. There is no barely in when it comes to the family of God. If you're a son or daughter of God, you have the privilege. God has given you the right as his precious son or daughter to crawl up into his lap and whisper in his ear knowing that he hears you, that he's listening to you. Will you pray with me? I want to give you just a moment to allow the spirit of God to press into you what would be most helpful and to wipe away the things that wouldn't be. You know, it's interesting to think about the Christian life. Uh, the Christian life starts with prayer. That, that's how it begins. It's, uh, it's the moment of us crying out to God, pouring out our heart to God in faith, trusting that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus will make me right with you, oh God. That's the start of the Christian life. It starts with prayer. It starts with throwing our life upon the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and surrendering our life through prayer to God. And for every son and daughter who will come to God like that, God stands ready right now to welcome you into his family. And so for some, this is your decisive moment. This is, this is your moment when you need to push your, your life across the line of faith. When you need to call out to God in prayer, trusting all that Jesus is for you. 
to make you right with God. This is your moment right where you are to do that. So I just wanna urge you right now, where you are, cry out to God. Express your faith to God. The best way you know how, right there where you are. But it's also interesting to know that just like prayer is the beginning of the Christian life, it also continues in the Christian life. It sustains the Christian life. Moment by moment, abiding in Christ, talking to our dad. So if you're a follower of Jesus, let me ask you this question. What is one step you can take toward prayer? to deepen your prayer life? What is one step you can take? Most of the time, change in our life doesn't come through massive overhauls. It comes through small steps. So what is one step you can take toward a deeper prayer life? Toward more of prayer in your life? Father, will you talk to us about these things today? We, your kids, want to learn what it looks like to walk with you moment by moment in conversation. We want to deepen in our prayer life. So God, will you help us in this? Will you teach us these things? Will you show us right now in this moment one step we can take into a deeper life with you, a deeper life of prayer? God, show us this today. And we are so thankful for the gospel privilege of crawling up into your lap, oh God, and whispering in your ear. And it's in your great name that we pray, amen.